back for our third and final segment, and I can't think of a better way to start off than to go to one of our old standbys, the Uncle John's Bathroom Reader Series. I was thumbing through the 15th edition some time back. I don't know why I had that one in my hands, but I did, and I thought, boy, here's some items for Radio Parallax. So let's serve a few up, shall we? From a section titled, Oops, it was noted uh, in a piece from the UK Mirror that a man named Lynn Thomas was working on a home improvement project when he cut through a gas main. <laughs> this then required the entire street to be evacuated. Notes the piece, moments after the gas engineers left, he went back to work. He promptly broke a water main, flooding his and his neighbor's properties. But even better than that is this. Notes Ananova.com, a married couple in Beijing, China, ended up brawling after realizing they had unwittingly courted each other over the internet. Evidently, after a month of secret online flirting, the man arranged to meet up with his mystery girlfriend, only to discover it was actually his wife. He had only known her by her username, I Want You. They had each agreed to carry a certain newspaper to identify themselves, but were shocked when they came face to face and started fighting on the street. Passerbys reportedly alerted security guards who had to separate the two. And no, we don't know how you could possibly win that argument. Yeah, these books are always full of uh, wonderful oddities, such as this quote from John Lehman, U.S. Secretary of the Navy. Quote, Power corrupts. Absolute power is kind of neat. I don't know if you know this, but there are only four countries on Earth that have one-syllable names. And for the record, Mr. McMillan correctly guessed Chad, France, and Spain but did not get Greece. Although to me, Greece kind of sounds like a syllable and a half, doesn't it? Strange lawsuits often feature into these volumes. Here's one we like. The plaintiff, Timothy Ray Anderson, an armed robber, sued defendant John Hobson, a security guard at a McDonald's. It was noted that Anderson was robbing a McDonald's at gunpoint when Hobson ordered him to drop the weapon. Anderson spun around, aiming his gun at Hobson, but Hobson shot first, hitting Anderson in the stomach. Anderson was subsequently convicted of armed robbery and sentenced to 15 years. But Anderson then sued Hobson, the firm Hobson worked for, and the owner of the McDonald's, claiming excessive force was used against him. His argument, quote, the mere fact that you're holding up a McDonald's with a gun doesn't mean you give up your right to be protected from somebody who wants to shoot you, unquote. The verdict, well, <laughs> amazingly in our legal system, that one was thrown out of court. They had a great section, this one called Smart Alex, with some great quotes. We started out with Oscar Wilde to Sarah Bernhardt. Do you mind if I smoke? Sarah Bernhardt to Oscar Wilde. I don't care if you burn. Quote about President Harry Truman about upcoming presidential wannabe Dwight Eisenhower. Why this fellow don't know any more about politics than a pig knows about Sunday. And my personal favorite, journalist Clive James about tennis great John McEnroe. McEnroe was as charming as always which means that he was about as charming as a dead mouse in a loaf of bread. And finally, my personal favorite out of the whole book, a statistic. 
Let's imagine you got into your car and your car turned into a spaceship. And you could drive your car, it's customary 60 miles an hour to the sun. How long do you think it would take, dear listener? You're driving straight to the sun, no bathroom stops, A to B. Well, I was somewhat surprised to note that if you do the math, and somebody has, it would take you 176 years to reach the sun. Now, we did the math on going to the moon some time ago, but I can't remember what the, what the result was. So, doggone it, we'll apply our educations right here, live on radio. Well, let's walk through it. Let's call the moon 240,000 miles away. So, 240,000 miles divided by 60 miles per hour. 4,000 hours a week, 168 hours, eh, so about, you know, six weeks per thousand hours times four, 24 weeks, about a half a year. We do know from the eclipse mathematics that the that this moon is one four hundredth the size of the sun, but 400 times closer, so yeah, it checks out. Less than half a year to get to the moon, you're one four hundredth of the way there, so half times four hundred, about two hundred, well, one seventy-six to be exact. This kind of reminds me of the old slide rule days where you had to kind of estimate what your final number was going to be because it, it didn't have a decimal point in it like a calculator does. I think that's becoming a lost art. All right, we got about ten minutes left. What should we talk about, Mr. McMillan? Well, I guess, I guess we could talk about how great you are, but we do only have 10 minutes. How about Walter Cronkite? There's a new uh, biography out about uh, the, that legend of journalism, a man we were privileged to be able to interview for this program. This correspondent was annoyed mightily by the Newsweek article about this new bio, piece by Howard Kurtz, which has the following title. Walter Cronkite would be fired today. Junkets a liberal bias, an unconscionable shading of a major story. A new biography reveals how much has changed in America's news culture. To which I'd like to add, Howard Kurtz can kiss my butt. This hit piece, further proof that, uh, I don't know, some right-wing nuts have purchased Newsweek. Well, it has some amazing revelations like he was cavorting with strippers. And sorry to say, I think I, I do need to quote from this piece. Cronkite's public persona was that of a pipe-puffing family man. But after covering Nixon's historic visit to China, he let loose with a night of partying in San Francisco. Cronkite and a colleague went to an infamous topless bar, and he was later spotted dining with a go-go dancer in a miniskirt and plunging neckline. I don't know, I don't think that constitutes cavorting with strippers, do you? Of course, curiously, the piece does note that Cronkite uh, got in a spat with Daniel Shore, also a man we were privileged to, to interview on this program, noting that in 1974, Cronkite denied the charge that CBS executives has ordered, had ordered the evening news to, quote, go soft on Nixon, unquote, as the president was resigning. Kurtz claims that Cronkite's denial was misleading. As Dick Salant later acknowledged, we in CBS management telephoned the correspondents who would be covering the story that night to remind them that it was not a time, no matter how any of them felt, for gloating remarks or for editorial attacks. Kurtz forgets to mention what Dan Shore had to say about that. This piece has a sidebar titled, Fade to Black. Cronkite retired with his reputation intact, but some other TV journalists... We're not so lucky. 
at which point he compares this to Michael Savage getting fired by MSNBC in 2003 for telling a caller to the show that he was a sodomite who should get AIDS and die. Well, that's, that, that, that's clearly the same as going out to dinner with a woman in a mini skirt and plunging neckline, wouldn't you say? For a better piece, we would refer you to the San Francisco Chronicle on sfgate.com book section, where Kevin Canfield reviewed uh, Douglas Brinkley's biography, that's the one they referred to in Newsweek, as well as Rather Outspoken, My Life in the News by Dan Rather. Rather had to be uh, helped by Digby Deal in writing it because, well, he's not a very good writer. I do think it's worth sounding off for a moment that uh, although Dan Rather was fired by CBS for supposedly uh, this bogus news story about George W. Bush's time in the National Guard down in Alabama, wherein he clearly, clearly was not treated like other members of the National Guard who, for example, were expected to actually show up in what I think is probably a diabolically clever bit of political manipulations. Rather, was apparently given documents that probably were fabricated. But people who were there at the time claim that documents to that effect did exist, just that those may not have been the ones that were leaked to Rather. So in, in taking Rather out as, uh, as, as producing phony documentation attacking George W. Bush, it's a twofer. The Republicans got rid of a guy they thought was too liberal for their tastes, while at the same time discrediting a news story about W getting special treatment, which he most assuredly did. By the way, it might be a good time to mention that that opinion, like all those heard on this program, does not necessarily represent the views of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. But uh, that said, it's, it's on the money. Oh, but... One final thing. I do have to note that I do think Howard Kurtz got it right in describing (laughs) Walter Cronkite's rather profound distaste for Dan Rather. I don't think we have time to go dig out uh, the clip for today's program, but when we asked uh, asked Walter Cronkite about Dan Rather stepping down, we got a response along the lines of, well, and certainly hung in there quite a long time. I think he wanted to be able to say he was in the chair longer than anyone else. We certainly can congratulate him as he's stepping down. That's not an exact quote, but it sort of captures the flavor of what Cronkite had to say, which certainly was a classic example of damning with faint praise. All right, in the four minutes we have left, I want to note um, two things. piece by David Sanger in the New York Times from May 20th, reprinted in the Sacramento Bee, noting, um, uh, well, it's actually it's an excerpt from... Confront and Conceal, Obama's Secret Wars and Surprising Use of American Power to be published by Crown Publishing sometime next week about the the evolution in President Obama's strategy in Afghanistan. Peace notes that Obama concluded in his first year in office that the Bush-era dream of remaking Afghanistan was a fantasy. Duh! The president was apparently shocked to learn that the wars cost... uh, if the general's counterinsurgency plan were left on autopilot, would be $1 trillion over 10 years. Notes that by early 2011, Obama had seen enough and told his staff to arrange a speedy, orderly exit from Afghanistan. Okay, early 2011, speedy, orderly exit. We're talking about leaving now at the end of 2014. 
Once the Hawks start one of these uh, Asian wars, it's pretty hard to disentangle yourself. It's pretty hard to disengage yourself. We'll have more to say about that in future installments, but let's close in our last two minutes with something that is surprisingly good news about presidential politics. That would be the HBO series Veep, starring Julia Louis-Dreyfus. I would note that I am decidedly not a Julia Louis-Dreyfus fan, but the writing on this thing is so good that it's worth checking out. Notes Rolling Stone, Louis-Dreyfus plays Vice President Selena Meyer, serving a president who's never seen or named. Nobody says if Meyer's a Democrat or Republican. Notes the reviewer, so I guess she's just a politician from the kind of party that elects female, environmentalist, divorced, and apparently Jewish vice presidents. Veep evidently comes from Armando Iannucci, who did the acclaimed British political satires In the Loop and The Thick of It. Notes Rolling Stone has a very English fast-talking pace and a very English disinterest in Americans' partisan and religious wars. So Veep isn't strictly a political satire and doesn't bother with the sentimentality Americans like to profess over the noble ideas of democracy. Inucci doesn't present anything approaching nobility, nor even the expectation of nobility, to the political process. No one here is trying to do the right thing. Politics is merely a game of who's going to get humiliated and who's going to get a kick rubbing their face in it. The characters are all DC lifers. They refer to the citizens they serve as the normalistas. At any rate, looks like HBO's done it again. Probably the greatest show in the history of television in this correspondent's opinion was The Larry Sanders Show and the currently uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm starring Larry David is, is awfully good as well and I think they've hit the trifecta here with Veep. So we hope you'll check it out. But that's it for today's program. We are out of time. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. This show, like all of them, was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm your host, Douglas Everett. We'll see you next week at the same time.